Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to you, wherever and whenever this podcast may find you. My name is Dustin. I'm the host of the Did You Know podcast. Welcome. And today we're going to be talking to the ever interesting and just intellectually stimulating Chris DeRose, who I really enjoy any time that I can kind of ingest his content and was very happy to be able to have him on the podcast. We talk about a variety of topics from leadership in Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a natural Ponzi. We'll explain uh, Bitcoin being punk rock, counterculture, introspection and Bitcoin, a lot of different topics. And it was it was a great conversation. I, I enjoyed it and I loved it. And I hope uh, I hope that you guys will. And I know that you guys will enjoy it as much as I did. If first you could do me a quick favor, head over to iTunes, leap a five star in a written review that is a really huge help you know to making the the podcast better well known it really does help with the algorithms in apple to have people listening to it and reviewing it so any time that you can do that i would appreciate it if you could also head over to etoro at diginocrypto.com slash etoro e-t-o-r-o and sign up there you'll get fifty dollars for free to trade for bitcoin they offer innovative tools and a audience and a community of 11 million other traders to be able to pass around topics and things and news and strategies charting and all this other kind of stuff so if you are a trader it's a great place to trade you can also now if you are a trader make your star bigger and what that will do is actually people who are not such good traders who see that you actually provide value they will copy your trades and that sounds like a bad deal, but it's not. Actually, what it does is they copy your trades that you make public as a public trader, and then you get a cut of all their profits. It's actually one of the better deals uh, out there. It's actually really, really cool. So head over to digitalcrypto.com slash eToro. And the last thing is you guys should be using a VPN. I do, and I exclusively use NordVPN. And this is not a pitch for any kind of affiliate link for myself at all. What I'm actually offering you is 75% off plus one month free for their three-year deal for NordVPN. It's easy. I use it on desktop. They have a mobile app, and you can set it to just connect automatically and a bunch of other stuff. It's actually really, really cool. I think you guys are going to really like it. And that's offered for free to all of my listeners. If you go to supportmypodcast.com and you click on the listener discounts option, it's going to list all the discounts that I've been able to get for you guys. These are absolutely free. I don't want money for it or anything like that. This is just a free service that I offer to all my listeners. So take advantage of it. Go over there. Use my promo codes. You can get stuff like Tracers, Keep Keys, Bitcoin merchandise, health food like mushroom coffee, Bitcoin tax software, a bunch of other stuff. It's all absolutely free. It's free promos. Just go there. You click on what you're interested in. Copy the promo. Use it. Done. So head over to supportmypodcast.com. And once again, I'd really like to, you know, thank you guys for listening. You are the most important part of this podcast. Absolutely. Because I could be providing the best content ever. And if I don't have listeners, it means absolutely nothing. So you guys are the ones who are actually responsible for all the success that we've had. I'm, I'm very happy with the numbers. We've broken over a thousand listeners. So I really appreciate that. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the show.
Today, I'd like to welcome Krista Rose, co-host of the OG Bitcoin podcast, Bitcoin Uncensored, a thought-provoking speaker and a Bitcoin professional. Chris, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Um, so the uh, the first question I will ask is probably, I think the most important one really in, in Bitcoin and one that I don't think really gets talked about so much because people seem to kind of just have a very set idea on what it is, depending on what camp that they fall into. But uh, uh, what is Bitcoin? God, there's so many, so many easy answers. And uh, I don't know if you want a complicated one or not. The, the easy answer is it's a digital currency. It's probably the best and easiest. But it's, it's clearly a movement. It's a uh, quasi decentralized community united by varying forms of malcontent and uh, libertarian aspirations towards this goal of sound money, whatever that might be. I think that's, that's a rough overview. Okay. Um, it, it, the first question that I wanted to ask you was, and I can't remember if this was something that you mentioned on the episode that we did, uh, I guess, over a year ago now on the kind of the outcome of the hash wars, or if it was just another talk, but you described, you know, that Bitcoin is being punk rock and you couldn't understand how, you know, you know, squares with kids and jobs could be in Bitcoin um, and that it's kind of really not for them. And at first, I kind of I guess I was a bit taken aback or bothered by it and probably likely by my bias since I am uh, that perfectly described square uh, with kids and a job and everything. Uh, but I've actually come to kind of appreciate that point more recently as I kind of see this attempt to professionalize Bitcoin into kind of this box as a place where the edgy adventurous wall street types go and you know you wear suits but you have fun socks and you know that's not to me that's not bitcoin and, and i've kind of appreciate that that con comment of bitcoin being punk rock so what what does that mean um and and how are these guys kind of getting uh, bitcoin wrong yeah, for me, I think a lot of the appeal of Bitcoin has been in this sort of like like cypherpunk kind of movement or maybe like the notion of the chit in various science fiction literature. These sort of romanticized online communities that were standing in opposition to the man. I think that that was a lot of the allure and the magic even uh, for me. And in, in so... And, and so being that kind of a movement, I, I think that uh, much of the professionalism, uh, so to speak, was antithetical to that goal. I, I don't think that the value in uh, the underground was to be found in banks. It was a response to banks. And that, that's subjective. You know, everyone can come around and, and, and do what they will with this stuff. But that's how it kind of spoke to me. And it sort of filled its, its, its legacy in that sense early on with what I consider to be the killer app, uh, that of Silk Road. Uh, and even from there, I would say uh, the killer app is money, but uh, in many ways, um, various forms of you know, subversive uh, online activity, all of which is, is not necessarily a peaceful and, um, I don't know, uh, pleasing kind of kind of application. It's, it's, it's very much in your face. It's, it's a, a sort of youth spirit that I, I found very compelling and that I even think is, is very noble in many ways. But uh, when, yeah, when the, when the bankers came and they wanted to get in, I mean, it's exciting in the sense that like you, you, you have money coming in now that was substantially greater than 
what was there prior. But it also came with a lot of strings attached, which I don't think the community's really come to deal with yet. No, I, I don't think so. And and I to take your point on, you know, kind of being subversive, subversive and underground, uh, I think, you know, it is very much akin to the kind of that punk rock spirit where, I mean, aficionados of, of punk will kind of, they, they have a real issue with kind of the commercialization of it afterwards. And that wasn't really the, you know, right. the true punk. And, and, and I think Bitcoin as well, to an extent, whereas, um, another, uh, podcaster and a person that I listen to Michael Mouse always talks about, uh, how the, the, in his, he, I think he goes through it in his new book too, as well, that, you know, the fringes is where culture is created. The kind of the underground, um, a lot of times where a minority culture resides in a society is where, uh, culture is created and then that filters in you know things like jazz hip-hop and um and a lot, of, a lot of pretty much anything else you see that kind of filters in at least in american society has always done so on the fringes and i think that's that's what bitcoin definitely within its cypherpunk days it was a a fringe movement and even t- to an extent if you kind of look at the amount of people involved and what's kind of we still are pretty fringe i'd guess but i'd say that the uh the edges are becoming a little bit more rounded um, um, on the, on the table there with, with Bitcoin, but, uh, but it's, it is, uh, you know, it is a little bit sad, uh, in, in a way that, uh, I, I do, you know, I agree that it, it is nice when you see, uh, you know, kind of people of respectability, I guess, coming in and, and giving kind of their respectability to something that was called, you know, um, uh, unworkable, but then at the same time, um, I think that that brings a, a real, what do you want to call it? Um, it's a real temptation for a lot of people to want to live up to that. You know, they watch Wall Street with uh, Gordon Gecko back in the day, and they kind of always wanted to be that guy with the in the penthouse, you know. And and th- there is that possibility within Bitcoin um, that that temptation is kind of there. And it, to me, it's. It, it it is kind of sad uh, to to see, and I don't know if there's really a course correction that can that can change that. I don't think there is within Bitcoin. Um, I don't think that's necessarily bad. Even uh, I do think that that Monero is offering much of that right now. So if you want that, you can go there, and presumably uh, other blockchains are offering uh, something even close. So so I like at some levels, I think that that's good, but there, there's a lot that's caught up in it. I, I liked your point about commercialization defeating the spirit of punk rock. It's very true. Um, it, you end up being victims of your own success. And it's something – in sociology, there's this concept called recuperation. Are you aware of recuperation? Uh, not off the top of my head, no. Yeah, it's so it's so important to understand, I think, uh, for anybody in this space especially. The, the idea is that subversive and uh, even extremist uh, movements can get um, brought into the fold of mainstream culture – through a, a process of commercialization. And it, there's, a, there's a bit more to it, obviously, but um, you see this time and time again in these movements. And I don't know, like on the other side of it, it, it is very reasonable. I can't, I can't uh, deny that. But there, there's, a, there's a strange sort of like death by success that happens in these forms of revolt, I suppose, that neuters the, the spirit. And, and so be it. But um, it, that, that concept is worth understanding for anybody who has been here thus far, because as you look at it, you're like, oh yeah, that's exactly what happened. They, they came in here and uh, they started to clean house on <laughs> some of the, some of the malcontents. And look at that. Now we have this like uh, this sort of wonderful above board thing or something about to be uh, that has also been rendered 
uh, harmless. Well, I guess kind of getting back to the what is Bitcoin question is that I think I guess to to dial it in a little bit more for you personally is everyone kind of got attracted to Bitcoin for different things, right? You've uh, you had you know libertarians that came in for obvious reasons with issues with central banks and all that, or I guess you kind of classify us into either thousand page or fifty page, um, you know, libertarians uh, and and <laughs> right. kind of what what your outlook is. But you know, there, there was other people that kind of came in. I mean. You know, there's even socialists um, um, that that are attracted to it for one reason or the other. But, uh, you know, some people, were they liked it because it was going to end central bank or it was a more fair monetary policy or whatever it may be. So would it what was, I guess, more important than what is Bitcoin? But why was Bitcoin important to you in those early days? And what, if anything, has changed to kind of either soil you on that on that uh, on that concept or just kind of no longer see it as being a use case. Yeah, well, I mean, for me, Bitcoin, I discovered Bitcoin in 2011 and I thought it was interesting, uh, but I didn't think it had a, any real value until Silk Road came around. And then I started using it and I said, well, this thing has actual obvious use uh, value and I'm in. I think this is great. And so that's what got me excited. Um, for all for all kinds of reasons, really, but but uh, I mean, even touched on earlier, you know, it's like this notion of the underground the underground currency, um, and yeah, so so I mean, I could talk about those old days, perhaps if we care, but like moving to the present, I guess what kind of now is is a bit of a bummer, I have to say, is, is Bitcoin really doesn't offer much in the way of fungibility anymore. It has become Fedcoin, uh, in my mind at least, and and that's not necessarily bad because like the price has gone up commensurate with that with that goal. Um, and, and that's wonderful. I uh, cannot complain about that. Um, but at the same time, again, it's it's lost some of the original energy and spirit now uh, for those reasons. And uh, I, like I said, I, I think that like Monero uh, or, or, you know, who knows what else? I mean, even Zcash, uh, you know, these types of currencies will offer a lot of that value. But along with the sophistication of the market, it does seem like the feds are um, imposing regulations onto the, the wild west that makes it a lot less fun <laughs> fortunately yeah so i i guess what i'm what i'm really hearing is kind of more you appreciate whoever's kind of right on the edge right whoever is um allowing kind of that fringe use case or that underground use case more than um the kind of larger pontificated philosophical reasons for why bitcoin or what bitcoin could do uh, it's more about the kind of the counterculture. Yeah, I think so. I, I do enjoy the conversations about what Bitcoin could do. Uh, I've soured to some of it because it's been just absolutely like overrun by cheap talk, cheap talk without action, yeah. you know? So uh, that, that has been a bit of a bummer. But I, I, I do believe in the potential. Um, you know, what, hap- what, what candidly has happened in a lot of ways is that the talent has been paid to leave. It's really just kind of like how that works. And you see this even in punk rock where like, you know, Sid Vicious gets paid to leave. You know, he, he was part of the movement and the society comes. It takes the, like the all-star affinities that are high-performing um, participants. And it says, here's some money, now go. And, and invariably they do uh, because it's kind of like a carrot or a stick. It's like either you're going to take the money or you're, you're going <laughs> to end up in a cage, I suppose. And and people go with the money. And it's one well they should. But um, yeah, it, it's a... Uh, you know, I, I think with the countercultural side of it, what I will say is that, that 
I was I was advised in my youth uh, that the talent goes where the action is. And I, I've taken that mantra to heart and I followed it for most of my life. And it kind of led me to places that are uh, on the edge. That's where the action is. And it, it's not to say that your fortune will lie there, but it, it is certain that some people's fortune will lie there. And that's a great place to look for fortune. Uh, and it's paid off very well for me, I would say. So that that, that is advice that if, if you have courage and stamina and wits is worth pursuing. No, I agree. I was, and I've, I've mentioned this for the listeners, they probably are getting tired of me uh, mentioning uh, uh, the this concept within permaculture. Um, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, that uh, with permaculture at all. Um, but it's a word, it's, but that's about it. Yeah, a lot of people mostly associate it with uh, gardening or whatever. And, and that's a, a big part of it. It's kind of where it first got its um, start was in kind of creating instead of working against nature, trying to do straight lines. Excuse me you will work with nature, right? You try to find the natural flows and patterns within nature. And then, so you're not trying to like cut all these trees down to plant your plot. You're finding where there's areas or where you can, um, you know, put different trees in anyways. And, and you kind of, one of, one of the, um, one of the, the things within permaculture is that the, the edge effect and that at the edge of every system is where there's the most productive you know, so at the edge of the forest, at the edge of the savanna, you know, at, at the edge of the desert is where you're going to see the most productive portions in that system. And and I think that's kind of uh, where where you're getting at is that the fringe of culture that where counterculture is kind of conflicting with with the current culture is kind of where you see uh, where Bitcoin, you know, first kind of the little little guppies started to swim and get a little bit bigger. And, and now it's kind of, you know, swam off into, into the mainstream and, and now maybe there's, there's, um, you know, yeah, I, I do, I do agree. I think if you look into, into the fringes, that's, you know, if, if you're looking for when you're going to see the advertisement on NBC about something and a new great way to make money, then it's already too late. <laughs> um, you know, it, there was another thing I was listening to some old uh, Bitcoin unlimited, um, episodes uh, a while back, and you talked about Bitcoin uh, being a natural Ponzi. And I was wondering if you could deep dive a little bit into that concept, what that means, because at first, I think some folks would probably, you know, cringe a little bit uh, by the word Ponzi being attached to anything that they love. Uh, so I was wondering if you could uh, kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah, you know, I understand the cringe. I mean, the, the connotation is negative, certainly. But these things do happen. That, that term was introduced by the World Bank, and it describes Bitcoin. And I, I, I think it describes it well. Um, what I think is left out of that description is that gold uh, of any kind, uh, digital or otherwise, if that's what this is, uh, is a natural Ponzi. And so too are nations are natural Ponzi. So like, what's, what's actually probably more interesting in all of that is people, I, you know, I get so frustrated when people like, they, they, they want to reject what is very easily seen. And for me, it's like, well, that don't lose sight of the fact that like this thing is, is working. So like if it's, you know, associated, if it's like approximate to a negative connotation, that does not mean that this thing is all going to fail. It means that something interesting is happening. And like you said, this, this is where the border of the, of the terrain is meeting uh, some natural resource or some facility. Like you have to look there in the difficult spots because that's where you're going to find some real meat. Um, so I, I don't know. Charles Ponzi had a very literal abstraction <laughs> of like um, 
economic excess that he he sort of discovered, and and he took it to a, a degree of irresponsibility that that soured the entirety of of the proposition. But all of modern society is built on on this concept that um, early investors are paid out by later investors. You, you see this in stocks. You see this uh, again in nations. You, you see this all over the place, uh, and it's. It's, it's a matter of degree. And, and then you have to drill down and say, like, okay, well, why is America a Ponzi and okay? And why is uh, Amway a Ponzi and okay? And then why is BitConnect a Ponzi and not okay? And certainly Bitcoin falls in between these, these various points of, of the spectrum. And I think that these questions are worth asking because we're going to need to answer things like, well, this ICO is, is arrived and could we have some kind of operational definition of what makes it uh, a Ponzi or not? And and, and unfortunately, what, what's going to end up happening is that the, the federal government's going to tell us where on the spectrum these things are. And, and it's unfortunate because we very easily could have, if we had coordinated better, spearheaded that that discussion. Uh, instead, we shied away from the the problem. And in so doing, we hand the problem over to other authorities to solve. So, I mean, for me, like, you know, I get a lot of slack and... and not undeserved because like I, I egg people on, but at the same time, it's like lost in, in the, in the discussion is, is, is where the meat and intent and value lies. And then, and then like, I, I don't do too bad with that. Like I usually just kind of like internalize it. I'll just be like, okay, well, I guess they're not ready for that. Fine. Uh, I'll, I'll take this on. And, and sometimes it explodes in my face and I, and I just <laughs> end up with massive uh, damages uh, to my, myself. Uh, but other times it, it pays off handsomely. And uh, as I've gotten older, I've come to realize that like the, the varying degrees of courage that I, I thought were more common uh, around me uh, are, are not in fact common. And, and perhaps that's the explanation. And uh, perhaps I'm being insensitive by not by not understanding that. But at the same time, I, I think that, you know, uh, scared people themselves probably deserve more blame for their losses when it comes to these things than I deserve blame for bringing it to their attention. That's just me. No, I think so. I mean, you got to play by the big boy rules, right? And, and uh, you know, I've always enjoyed, you know, just following you on Twitter because you're just the constant contrarian to to everything in the space, which is, I think, is an important thing uh, because I, I think that there's two – well, contrarians are never appreciated, right, uh, no. by any in-group uh, because <laughs> the contrarian – yeah, the contrarian's always the one – who is, you know, no one likes the doubter of the faith and the contrarian, although necessary is, is kind of like, I mean, you know, to constantly use these religious terms, but kind of a, a, the prophet, right. Where they're kind of pointing out where the, where the, the nation or whatever the group is, is failing and nobody ever likes that. Right. You know, they gave Socrates hemlock. So it just be careful at the, at the con- uh, conferences. But um, I, I think that the in-group preference and especially, you know, everything's on Twitter and Twitter really makes it easy to, to coddle your own in-group preference through muting, through blocking. And you end up with these beautiful little walled gardens where, you know, at, at some point where some of these people, I don't think they ever talk to anybody outside of, you know, whoever is liking and retweeting their stuff and patting them on the back for kind of these inane um, very topical takes on on everything that's going on. It's true, and and I think it's a bad. I think it's a bad thing. I think it's it's probably. Um, I don't know. I think it leads to stagnation of thought and lack of introspection, 
and especially as to what Bitcoin's ideals are. I don't really think there's been a lot of talk about what Bitcoin's ideals are. And I think that this lack of, of discussion is one of the probably one of the larger attack factors that we have because we're not being introspective. We're not talking. We're just slapping each other on the back and saying that it's all going to be OK. I fully agree. I don't, I don't know that it's necessarily bad. I go back and forth on that because like there's a few directions Bitcoin can go in and, and we don't know which one it'll, which way it'll go yet. So like it's, it's definitely this has been disappointing for me watching punk rock turn into a religion just full fledged in every sense of the word, as best I can tell, religion um, has been a little disappointing because it, it, it does stagnate the development and it also creates an obstinacy and zealotry that is infuriating for anybody who's trying to apply this technology, as is evidenced by every single company that has tried to come into the space and do something with Bitcoin, uh, where they are almost immediately mocked, jeered at, and uh, removed from the space uh, for reasons that are uh, not really well considered. And, and, and I'm not innocent. Like a lot of that stuff, I, I found myself, I see how it happened. I, I myself played a big part in, I think. Uh, but, but there's a point at which I think it, it kind of took on a life of its own to a degree now that it's just, it's, it's just incredibly obtuse. Um, and yeah, it, it's, uh, it's good in the sense that you, you, you very well may stand a chance of this just becoming outright religion, like Scientology or one of these, I don't know if that's too grand, um, or, or not grand. I really have no idea, but, um, it, it does seem to have that, that sort of spirit to it, like, a, like an internet religion. Maybe that's what this is. You never know. Um, and if that's the case, then like this is this is the degree of commitment that like Apple had, had typically cultivated to great success. So e even though you, know, you had these diehards for a while that kept the company along when it was uh, otherwise in, in the doldrums of the early 2000s, uh, they were they were keeping along mostly through ideological um, ideological reasons. It was a degree of zealotry. So maybe Bitcoin has that. Maybe that's good. Uh, on the other hand. It may very well be that Bitcoin does become the MySpace of cryptocurrency because of an inability to uh, iterate and lead against competitors. Well, that'd be that'd be so sad if Satoshi became Tom. Um, that'd just be, <laughs> but uh, I, I think I absolutely, you know, when I look, the more I look at it, because you know, in conversations with Vin. It makes it a lot easier for me to understand Bitcoin when I understand this space as kind of uh, competing religions. Yeah. Um, and I do think that Bitcoin um, is, and I, I'm not going to go over a previous episode um, that I did that I've mentioned on the last probably every one since then. But um, I had a talk with, with a, a gentleman who was a, um, a psychologist and he was just talking about the lack of the, or I should say the destruction of traditional institutions has led people to look for those kind of same rituals, practices, and meaning in other places. And I think that Bitcoin has as well. And I don't think Bitcoin would have been successful without it. Um, kind of these, you know, and then these zealots that form around it to kind of, I guess, protect it against sometimes wrongly and sometimes rightly against incursions and, and uh, attempts to, to change it. But I mean, you look at it, we have, we have rituals, we have practices uh, within, you know, within uh, Bitcoin BTC, we have, you know, running your own full node, um, you know, hodling, um, and especially running your full node is really kind of the, the high sacrament probably of Bitcoin. Um, you know, we have you know, specific holidays that we, you know, yeah. that we, uh, 
celebrate, um, even though people don't like to, you know, call themselves leaders or whatever. There, there is absolutely leadership um, in my mind of, of some form or another um, within Bitcoin. And uh, you know, kind of, I, I fully agree. That's undeniable to me. Yeah, but... the priests, the you know, the, there's the priests, and then there's the you know the acolytes, and um, and there's the developers. Yeah, there's. Uh... Uh, the thought leaders, even miners, like the, yeah, they're they're leading. It's just the the early investors are leaders. A leader is just somebody who goes to a place before everybody else goes there. That's what it is to lead. You go first. <laughs> it's really kind of a name. Um, yeah. Well, what is the role of of leadership in Bitcoin? You know, because like I said, we don't. A lot of people don't like to say there's there is no leadership. It's decentralized. You know, every node is 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 a node is a node, right? Um, but in truth, there's no CEO, but there are personalities who, if if they get united, can make something happen or stop something from happening. Um, no, they of stop, course, they, it's happened many they times. Segwit two X probably most famously, and even though many of those same people, the thirteen hard fork, yeah, is another one you may or may not you know off the top of your head. Yeah, no, I, I was just coming into Bitcoin at the time, but I really wasn't really involved in. I was a very topical kind of lurker at the time, um, so I wasn't on in, in the um, inner sanctum of those kind of discussions or, I mean, like I, w- I wasn't really participating. We, we used to, we used to have a, a celebration of leadership back then. Like granted it wasn't, it, it wasn't quite pronounced to the degree that you would find in most communities, but there was Gavin as a lead maintainer who was unapologetic about that. And, and Jeff Garzik as well. So at, at, I think the class of like 13 were seduced by this no leaders meme. And then everyone kind of went with it because it pamped the bag and then it just took off. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I, in myself, I, I didn't really see how it hurt. I don't, I, at the time, I don't think, but uh, I see now how it really, uh, really, really hurt. So. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of the same people that probably disagree with that statement also, you know, publicly celebrated the fact that they united to stop, you know, Segwit 2X kind of had a little mini holiday uh, just a few months back, you know, everyone was reposting pictures of their um, UASF hats and and things like that. But you know, as far as the the leadership of early adopters, devs, I don't know. I, I don't, it's hard to tell if if the the term is it you know influencer, thought leader, whatever, whatever it is. Um, well, you know, if I can interrupt, I, I would I would even go so far at this point to say that when you are investing in any blockchain you are investing in leadership, in the leadership of that blockchain. That's that's what I would say at this point. And we we hit this history of Bitcoin as a rock that, that kind of worked for us for a good while. And in my mind, it was just, it, it was skeuomorphic. It, it was um, useful as as an allegory of like what, what it is that we kind of believed in, in some tenet of, of the actual movement. But not to the degree that it became completely 100% literal and moral blindness was required in order to, like, uh, like, I guess, invest and, and be part of the community. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, and the easy way to see that is uh, the Bitcoin Dot Foundation, which I love that project. It's one of my favorite projects in the space because it's hilarious. And it's hilarious for all kinds of reasons. The, the people who say there are no leaders uh, immediately clam up when you bring up the, the Bitcoin Dot Foundation and wait for a leader to speak to tell them what it is that they believe which I find hilarious. Uh, they'll usually block you as well. It should be said, you know, they, they'll sort of uh, burn the book uh, as, as a sort of stopgap measure on the blasphemy. But uh, for those that don't know, the Bitcoin Dot Foundation is a version of Bitcoin 
that has been around for a very long time uh, that has more or less promised to stay in accordance with the original Bitcoin code. And I would argue it's decentralized and leaderless. It, it is uh, very easy to assemble on your own. Even if the source code were lost, it is at least close enough to the original Bitcoin design to where you could you could emergently consent on it uh, with very little effort whatsoever. Uh, unlike the current binaries today, which require an inordinate amount of time and specialization and labor to produce for anybody, uh, there's you know maybe 50 people in the entire world that can do it, and uh, there's, there's really nothing about it that that is um, how to say like uh, you know in accordance with the original code base as a as a point of um, like decentralized implementation. It, it is an extension of the code base. And I'm okay with, with that, to be clear. Like, I think Bitcoin Core was a fine uh, idea. I, I think that we should iterate. Um, my my, pro, my gripes are with the people who think we shouldn't iterate, who then simultaneously believe that the Bitcoin.Foundation isn't the true BTC. So uh, for me, I, I find that to be mostly funny at this point. And uh, for any listeners, like, look into the Bitcoin.Foundation. Ask any Bitcoin leader, uh, you know, or, or an unleader who has a lot of followers and tells people what to think, what it is that they think about the Bitcoin Foundation, uh, because they, there is no directive from the top yet to tell them what to, to think. So they'll generally gloss over the question. It's very funny. And, and is this like, because I, I was just, I Googled it. Is this like an actual website or is this just more of a meme concept of Bitcoin Foundation? It, it's, it's hilarious because it, it exists to, it exists very much in the anarchist spirit of the old days. Murcha is an OG Bitcoiner. You can look that guy up. He has a fascinating story. I don't even want to tell it on the show. Let, let, the, let the audience look into it themselves. Um, and he did that before that was even like a, a, a joke that anyone would understand. So like he gets full credit for, for like either making the joke or not. It, it's very up in the air. It, it both, it, it's both funny and real. Um, and, and so like you can look at it and say like, okay, this isn't real or this is a joke or whatever. But no, it's, it, it does everything it says it's going to do, and it thumbs its nose up at anybody who cares about the providence of ideas. So for me, that's a major win. That, that's totally punk rock. And so, you know, as, as far as for, you know, kind of coming back to with, with Core, um, and I think that's, you know, when we talk about the de- decentralization, I think that's the, the, the major issue that I have with this concept of of decentralization of bitcoin is that you know whenever you kind of bring up this idea of there being a core dev team of going well yeah but there's you know hundreds or thousands of people that that have you know uh, that have submitted code to bitcoin or you know everything like that and you know true but there's only a handful of people that have the ability to actually merge um in in github oh yeah and to me that seems like such i mean when we were talking about the the scaling issue you're talking about either centralization of mining and that being an attack vector. But I, I mean, to me, I, I think if you really want to make Bitcoin much more censorship resistant at the, at the dev level, these people really should not, you know, but then there's a problem if they're not known, then how do you hold people accountable either? But um, it, it, to me, it'd be really a, a lot simpler for there to be regulatory pressure on individuals um, than on than on miners per se, whereas individuals don't have as much capital to fight, you know, 
certain pressures, whereas a, a large miner may be able to, I don't, I don't know. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of a horse apiece. And, and I, it's one of my major concerns with, with Bitcoin's ability to resist any sort of censorship attempts at the regulatory level. Yeah, it's, that's going to happen at some point. It left unabated. It, it's very obvious to me, at least. What I'll end up, so I don't know why decentralization for those that are relatively new. Decentralization started with protocols like Tor and BitTorrent, and there, there was never any pretense of like a lifestyle adherence to this notion of no humans involved. That that's when the religion kind of started to take hold in Bitcoin where that sort of thinking became dominant and seemingly needed to apply to everything. Like the, the thing about BitTorrent was that it, it, it was a, a software project written by humans that was subject to all the whims of human software writing. And it, it did this thing by delegating varying forms of responsibility to people online. That, that, that part of the equation was where the decentralization came from. And in the case of uh, BitTorrent, what it did was uh, offload the uploading of files to random individuals. And it did that so that uh, the developers didn't take on any liability for what was uploaded. That was sort of the, the deal. And um, I think that society has changed a lot since then because at the time, the internet was less serious maybe. And we all kind of thought, oh, absolutely, and, and I, yeah. I still think... Yeah, and I, I still think, but uh, that writing code was like a, a matter of free speech, and you should be able to write these these programs with impunity. It, it was akin to writing mathematical formulas, and I still believe that. Um, I find now, ironically, even in the blockchain space, that a lot of people don't seem to believe that. Instead, what they seem to believe is that, like through magic, the non-humans create software, and that that is what decentralization is, um, and that's just idiocy to me, uh, through and through. Um, and, it, and that's going to lead to a complete dead end. What will, what will end up happening with Bitcoin as, as the Fedcoin blockchain is, is what it seems to be doing uh, is one of a couple of things. But number one, uh, <clears throat> because the banks have come in here and basically mopped up the entire space um, in, in good ways, to be clear. But uh, we, we now have an inordinate amount of power held in exchanges because exchanges hold the the routing of fiat to authority. That, that's that's the power that exchanges have. So you have dollars. The United States has entrusted these banks to route those dollars to leaders. And they do that through the ticker symbol. So like BTC doesn't route to the Bitcoin dot foundation. It rounds to it routes to Bitcoin core. Uh, in, in so doing now, the federal government gets to choose the rules of Bitcoin. And so they haven't exercised that power yet. But what will happen eventually, they're already starting. Uh, is number one, in order to run a cryptocurrency exchange, they're, they're going to have some level of central registration of tickers to leadership teams, uh, the same way they do for stocks. And uh, then number two, it's entirely probable that from there, they'll go ahead and uh, create a blacklist of sorts or, or some such functionality, wherein if, if, uh, if you're going to run this, this executable on an exchange, you have to respect the blacklist. So either Bitcoin Core will be the reference by way of like some government extension. So it'll be like, you know, uh, the SEC Bitcoin Core, which will just be like the exact same thing as Bitcoin Core, but with like a blacklist applied or some such thing. And, and the exchanges will follow because they're, they're not going to go to jail and not serve the community. They, they'd rather serve the community and not go to jail. Um, 
and and that's okay. Like th- that's fine by me. That's that's what Bitcoin will do. And who knows? It, it may actually be worth more in that environment. It wouldn't entirely surprise me, quite honestly. Uh, but this notion of the non-humans is it's it's really perverse. But like, like anarchy themes generally just mean that somebody else has your authority. Like that's that is kind of the pitch of anarchy is that we have no leaders, therefore we don't define any message, therefore uh, any other person defines who we are. And, that, and that's kind of how that happens. And that's what's going to happen with Bitcoin is that any other person, in this case, the most powerful, will define what is Bitcoin. Um, and that's okay with me, but uh, it, it is a bit incongruent with the, with the spirit of things. And uh, it didn't have to be that way. It, it could have gone another way. But you look at like Tor. Tor is a great example of how it could have gone. Uh, so is ICANN. I, ICANN is so decentralized. It's amazing. It's amazing how decentralized ICANN is. And that's that's something you can't say in this space. And it's, it's a shame because if we had done it better, uh, we could have absolutely have emulated that success. Well, and maybe you disagree. I, yeah, maybe you disagree. No, so, no I, I don't necessarily disagree. I'm just I'm trying to figure out how I mean, because th- this has been a, a, a problem that I've been thinking about is, you know, because if you just have open keys to the to the GitHub repository, right? Well, I think it already, you know, having it done on something like GitHub that's owned by Microsoft is also probably not not the the, the, the best way. But I'm also not a programmer, so uh, maybe there's you know probably a way that if let's say GitHub shut it down, uh, there'd be other ways around that. Um, so I may be speaking out of my ass on on that on that point. But um, if you just had anybody and everybody you know, just pushing code out uh, and then keeping, I guess it'd be up to the nodes to be able to choose which, which line, but it just seems like there'd be people accidentally running this version and that version. You have continual forks and, and, and then dead end, you know, and and I don't know. I don't know if necessarily because the concept of, of leaderlessness is, is not something I think is possible. And I don't even think that's necessarily anarchic either because, you know, in anarchy doesn't mean necessarily there aren't leaders, but there's not, coercive structures you know where if you live within this area you have to follow these rules or there's some sort of social contract that you that you signed at birth um but i I don't think that i think that bitcoin does need leaders i think that the the issue is that we need to be much more uh introspective much more open to contrarian thinking and the ability to talk through these things versus just accepting that whatever the basic social consensus is within a small group of people is the best way to go forward and just go along with that. I don't know. Well, I, don't I mean, there, there are actually, there are easy solutions to these problems in history. We've actually, the, the science of decentralization, I would advocate is one of the oldest sciences there is. And this is, these are problems we've had in humanity uh, for thousands and thousands of years. And there's a few things that we could do that would make a huge impact. Um, I, I think that, the first thing that should be considered is that, number one, uh, until there is a spec, a Bitcoin spec, the implementation is the spec. So you look at like HTML, HTML has a spec. And because HTML has a spec, we have all these different all these different vendors. We have a Mozilla vendor, we have a Chrome vendor, or well, maybe not all that many, but we have at least we, a significantly greater number of vendors than we have here, I think, in, in the Bitcoin space. Um, and that's because there's a spec. So you have a specification, everybody agrees to the specification, and now you can create interoperable software. Uh, so that's fine. So if Bitcoin had a spec, that would solve an inordinate amount of problems. Except, unfortunately, uh, there will never be a spec because that isn't how consensus works. 
unlike HTML, consensus requires bit-for-bit accuracy. So with HTML, you can do things like have pixels that are off by a bit. You can have font sizes that are substituted, that are approximated. And, and, and so any given web page, if you ask a developer, he can tell you like a mobile versus desktop. It, it's sort of like a approximate guide to how things should look. It's not a, an exact guide. Consensus has to have every single bit, uh, bit for bit the same across all computers in the, in the space. So even if there was a spec that was very, 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 very good, um, th- there wouldn't be any sense in running an alternate implementation because you're incurring risk for which you're uncompensated. Meaning if the exchanges run Firefox, there, there's no reason to run Chrome whatsoever because all Chrome will do is add risk that you don't understand. So you might as well run Firefox because that's what the banks use and you're at least guaranteed to go down with them if they go down, thus, thus being a systemic risk at which time uh, there's no risk because the bank will just change, uh, revert back to an earlier block with the devs. And then that brings me to the second point is that, and this is what blockchains always do, uh, is if, if there's a systemic issue, we roll back. That's been true of Ethereum, rather famously with a DAO, but it's also been true of Bitcoin many times. Uh, we've seen this in, in multiple hard forks. Uh, the 13 fork was the, was the most uh, prodigious uh, case of it. That It was very DAO-like. Um, th- there was a sort of inconvenience to it that everybody decided to just not talk about, so we don't. But the record is, is fairly unequivocal. Um, there was a fork. Luke Dash Jr., uh, as well he should, uh, went ahead and, and uh, created a, an emergency patch, which everybody updated, and we all pretend like it didn't happen. Um, in the more recent times, uh, and this kind of gets into the security side of things. Uh, frankly, I, I don't know that I don't know that Microsoft and GitHub are really even the biggest attack vector. That the devs are just so easy to compromise, if you ask me. And you see this because the Bitcoin issuance rate was adjusted uh, last year. Um, I take it back; it was adjusted years ago by Blue Matt, and uh, he did it for reasons that are unknown to us. But it went undetected and dormant uh, until the, the newest CVE, at which somebody realized that, oh, there was, in fact, an, alter, an alteration to the code that allows uh, an, an issuance of Bitcoin past the 21 million limit and, and an emergency uh, fix was released and, and thankfully it didn't execute because that would have been very embarrassing. Uh, and I don't want to necessarily accuse Blue Matt of malfeasance, but my point's the same is that we, we can't assume benevolence either. It, it, like what happened occurred, intent is unknown. And so prognosticating over the hows and whys of how an attacker would, would, would hit are, are now like resolved in the sense that, well, we know it can be done by this way. And maybe it was done. We'll never know. Yeah, I mean, people are, I mean, that, that's always the, the we, we talk about that in Bitcoin as far as for being different from permission systems, right? Is that, uh, and, and I've done it as well, is, is saying that, well, we don't have the single point of failure that let's just say a, you know, I, I don't know, what, whatever, any kind of permission system you want to throw in there that has a central point of failure, um, you know, has because, you know, you have you know, decentralization or whatever, right? But then you do have, you know, where you have a handful of people, they are a, a point of, of failure and that um, people are probably the most easily compromised systems in the world. Um, and it, it doesn't take too much to, to be able to do that. And, and well, I mean, going back to the exchanges as far as for being them kind of falling in line now. And I do, I, exchanges have, I, I mean, I mean, they serve their function and I don't really see any other way around it at, at, you know, at the moment of, you know, how do you get people with, you know, whatever it is into, into Bitcoin, you have to use the exchanges. 
and it's a centralized choke point um, where they have to operate and, and they're incentivized to. I mean, none of those people operating at Coinbase or or a, a, a Bitfinex or, or anything like that are, are punk rock and they, they're not looking to fight the system. They're looking to work within it and make money as they, you know, that that's it's a free market system. And that's if that's what they want to do, they should do. But, um, you know, it, it does it does bring up uncomfortable questions um, within Bitcoin. Well, it doesn't it doesn't have to be uncomfortable. That's the okay. thing that always drives me nuts. Like like, it, you know, I, I understand why it's uncomfortable. People are scared. It's really just all that is. But it, like, because we want perfection. censoring discussion, well, not only that, but like the confidence and affirmation is like the, the driving force of, of like everybody's you know, modus operandi in this space. So like it's the culture. Um, but the, the, the thing is that the censoring discussion doesn't make the problem go away. That, that's what's perverse to me. And I think these people think that if you censor discussion, the problem goes away. And that's not what happens. What happens is people like myself capitalize on, on the information gap. Which is fine. I'm not complaining, but that only comes at cost to the people who are advocating censorship. It, it means that they and the general public that would conceivably have been in a position to benefit now don't benefit. And so that's, I guess that's how finance works. Like for me, I, I, I think that I was compelled towards a more community spirit uh, given my early involvement. And, and that, that is my foul in, in retrospect. I think I, that I can see why it was well-intentioned and uh, – nonetheless um inappropriate but uh yeah i mean this this is how like like wall street comes in and works now, now wall street's all about information secrecy and and perversely like it's this very complicated but understandable chain whereby the investors end up abetting the confidence men in censoring information and the only one who ends up losing is, is the investors in, in any case um the point I, I was trying to make with this is like these are solved problems in many ways. And, and like we, we could have a cultural adjustment. Like I talk a lot about programming carbon and, and the, the supreme importance of programming carbon, which falls on deaf ears in this space. And it's, it's a shame because all of our problems or almost all of our problems are, are due to this, this, this sort of um, this, this information gap. But yeah, like in the early days, like I remember how it was before there were exchanges. And I remember how we used to solve that problem. That is now lost knowledge. And and unfortunately, we can't bring that knowledge back anymore for the, the reasons that we've already articulated. Um, I mean, the simple answer is that you you have local meetup groups where people meet and they use it, uh, they use the product, and they they get to know each other and they form networks and they perform quote quote unquote decentralized uh, exchanging of uh, bits for dollars. Um, now, I recognize that in, in recent years that's gotten increasingly difficult. And unfortunately, the reason why that's gotten increasingly difficult is because we censored the discussion on what, what's it, what we could have done about that. Um, Tor also has this problem. Uh, with Tor, they've done a wonderful job of programming carbon. They've branded the product as this humanitarian thing, which, which it largely is capable of. Um, I don't know if it largely is, but it doesn't matter. Um, the point is the same, is that like running a relay node is an act of uh, civic duty or freedom of information. And here in Bitcoin and blockchain, we took all of the energy, all of the enthusiasm, all the confidence, and we squandered it rather than divert it into uh, what I think would have been a, a much more effective appeal towards uh, the right to exchange money freely. And, and you know what? Like that, that right may just quietly die one night. I, I've accepted this. Uh, I came from a time when, when you could use cash money 
and people didn't have to report every single one of their financial transactions to the federal government. And I thought that was a right. I, I, I thought that was normal. And now it seems like that discussion is, isn't even going to be had. And that's sad because that in many ways was, uh, I think, the promise that Bitcoin could have fulfilled. Well, if you could, uh, if you could, you know, educate the, the the audience and myself a little bit more on what, what do you mean uh, by programming carbon? Uh, I'm just not 100 percent familiar yeah. with it. So, so there, this is a refrain I, I picked out of one of the project, like the project management books that I've read over the years. It, it's not that unusual in computer programming circles to talk about this. Um, it, it's it's a bit vulgar in the sense that like it's it's dehumanizing, but it, it, it speaks to the better sense of programmers, which is why I promote it because they're the ones who need to hear this message because they know it's real. Um, and yeah, I, the, the, the truth is that humans are deterministic largely, meaning they follow instructions in the same way computers do. And you know this because you drive. And when you drive, you drive on the right-hand side of the road and there is an error rate to your instructions and in, in its execution. But by and large, you follow rules, you follow order, and you arrive at destinations 99% of the time or more because of all of the training and indoctrination uh, propaganda and, and well-intentioned propaganda, um, but but structure and uh, the, the society is created for you to follow those goals. And it's a complicated science uh, and it's not something that grows overnight and it requires so many things in order to, to come to fruition. But this is in fact how uh, humans are controlled and, and rightly so. So th- th- this is a property of machines that are made out of carbon, uh, contrasting with uh, the ones and zeros, which are instructions for the machines made out of silicon. Okay, so I, no, I no, I get it. I get I get your point. Uh, you know, much better when I was just confused by programming carbon, but as a carbon-based life form, got it. Um, yeah, no, I think that you know, this kind of comes back a little bit to the the concept of leadership too, because I think um, you know humans. I mean, leadership is is kind of the, an aspect of of you know, humanity, right? We, we do for better or worse, we are always a, a majority. Um, I'd say where, where that breaks down is, is in fringe culture, um, to an extent, but people usually are looking for a leader, someone to tell them what programming to yeah. run, what's what, what is the proper programming? And, and that's why people are attracted to all these. I mean, you, you know, you know, you look around at all these different, you know, whatever it may be, um, you know, goofy movements and things like that around the world and go, how could people believe this stuff? You know, looking at, um, I don't know if you watched that uh, documentary on Wild Wild Country on Netflix about the Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. I have not. I, I, I don't, uh, I have not. I don't watch much TV, unfortunately. Oh, okay. Well, it's a really interesting thing in kind of just the human experience in that this was a, a cult um, you know, and used in the, in, in the appropriate Ooh, like term. That. Yeah. Not okay. in the pejorative term, but you know, he I was love in, love him. Yeah. I, I think that's, you know, Bitcoin is, is, is a cult in itself. And, yes. and we, I should, I should say, I love, I love watching cults and studying oh, okay. cults. I, I, you know, I don't, <laughs> don't want to be taking too much, like, too creepy. <laughs> they, uh, le, <laughs> but, yeah. less, less participation, but they, uh, they started, you know, he started India and he was kind of like the, uh, Indian kind of Hinduistic version. And not really, it's not really Hinduism per se, but I mean, uh, kind of Indian subcontinent, subcontinent spirituality version of the prosperity gospel. Whereas his whole thing was that it's fine to make money. It's great to enjoy pleasures and all this kind of stuff. You know, don't, 
um, you know, that, that uh, uh, enlightenment is not found in, in, in starving yourself half to death, right? And this was kind of in a period of the 70s and 80s where people were traveling and looking for, you know, meeting and they flocked to him. They end up buying this huge area in Oregon um, where he had multiple, you know, Benz, uh, uh, Rolls Royces and, and, and things like that. And um, they ended up um, basically taking over the town. They tried to take over the county and there's people being um, poisoned uh, right before elections so that they could win an election. It was it was a whole thing. Um, but I think that, you know, regardless in it, looking from the outside in, you go like, well, how could people, um, you know, believe that or Heaven's Gate, things like that. But I, people are always, I think, looking for that that carbon programming uh, for themselves. They're looking to be told what is the appropriate action. And then that's how they can from that they run their, you know, they can the, the programming can kind of run in itself. And that's kind of the interesting thing that I find about Bitcoin as well. Oh, absolutely. There, uh, there, there's a few. There's a lot of exciting research happening on on, on this front lately. As, as a result, I think of all of the the craziness we're seeing online. Um, just today, there was a post on uh, Y Combinator, um, public opinion in authoritative states, uh, authoritarian states, excuse me, and um, it, it talks about how there's generally like a primary goal that humans have that causes them to want to do something. So they, they find like-minded others at which time they then will compromise on their own identity or their own personality for the sake of belonging to that group. And then that process, it seems like it just kind of keeps on accelerating. Um, and there's, there's a few, I'm trying to think of the name. It's, it's escaping off the top of my head. I was, I was just talking about it in the prior patch today with Paul Sports. Um, but there's a name for that economically and uh, it'll come to me here by the end of the show. Uh, it's really exciting research because it, it explains a lot of weirdness that, that's happening right now. Um, and it's been happening for like, I think, thousands of years, but that uh, we haven't really been able to study until recently with some of the new data that's been coming in uh, based on all of, all of the social media stuff happening. But yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the cult. Like, there's like a, like you'll, you'll notice with the cult that like the identities start to dissolve, like the, the, the pre-cult identity. And then the cult itself seems to merge into one identity. So all, all members then become defined by that. And you see that here at Bitcoin, where like these people probably had personal lives, but you never really see that here in our space. And I bet you our, our Bitcoin identity permeates to their their like no, social nodes outside of Twitter and, and Reddit. And uh, yeah, from there it begins like an echo chamber. And from what I see, like I'm not a you know professional here, but it, it seems to regress to like the id. Um, in psych psychology, uh, wherein like there's the, the immediate gratification that seems to end up being where you, you always end up. So as more people join, the denomination then becomes uh, generally less specialized, and uh, as a result, I think more prone to um, basic functions of thought. So things like hygiene, like shit coins, you know, being the obvious case, uh, as like a, a sort of uh, easy place to draw consensus from because since nobody's specialized, you can't draw it from, you know, literature or uh, even maybe, you know, contemporary events because maybe this is like internationally based demographic. So instead you, you, you sort of pull from like, you know, poop and, and then you have these conversations that go on all day about the, the poop and hygiene qualities of these, these bits and these sticker symbols. And 
yeah, the, the whole thing is, is, is really fascinating to me. I, I don't think we've ever seen it happening quite this way. I, we have seen it historically many times, but not at like light speed and not with such a, a diverse range of individuals as it seems to be happening online now. Preference falsification, that's what it is. Preference falsification. And I, I think that that stands a chance of becoming like a major economic uh, force uh, of understanding now, now that we've figured out what the hell is going on. And, uh, and like the, I think the quintessential example of preference falsification is communism in Russia, which I, I, this is hilarious to me. I, I don't know why people don't see humor in things where I see it. I, I think some things are just so funny to me. And then like you say to people, and they're like horrified. They're like, oh, really? I thought that was so funny. Um, but yeah, so apparently there, there are, as of, as of now, uh, no communists in Russia. There, there were never any communists. Nobody ever know, knew any communists. Uh, in fact, if you ask people about communism, the shame is yours for asking because only an idiot would think there ever were communists. And, and so like th- that leaves me like mystified because I, I remember you know, growing up seeing very vivid images of communists in Russia. And, and what it seems to be the case is that as these groups conform onto a, a, a herd identity, uh, be it a cult identity or otherwise, the, 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 the herd identity ends up being so far removed from any individual in the herd that individuals will seemingly know that they're acting in some capacity and and they will present in a way that advances them in the herd, but which they themselves have no personal attachment to. And then at a time where, uh, in the case of Russia, uh, the Berlin Wall came down and it was evident to everybody that the game was over. Uh, this is the, the slow clap uh, also is kind of like the same effect where like one person claps in the room and then two people clap and then three people clap and then before you know it, everybody claps. Right at that time, that 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 um, mediated identity is, is no longer valid. So at, at that time, everybody knows that the the jig is up, and they then start renegotiating a new identity. Uh, and in fact, in the new identity, the virtue would be having distance yourself from the old identity. So that's what, like the starting point is like. Well, I was never a communist. I was just pretending to be a communist. I was never a real communist. The real communists were terrible, awful people. And uh, you have to go ask somebody else because I, I haven't seen one of those around here. You know, like that's what ends up happening. And that's what will happen in Bitcoin, guaranteed. At some point, what's going to end up happening is the slow clap and the the, the, the shamans of today uh, will, will disappear and everyone will disavow themselves of any degree of social proximity to those people. And then we'll be onto the new round, uh, which will be probably more ridiculous than the current round, if I had to guess. But at least a refreshing change would be my hope. And, and the process will begin uh, anew. No, I absolutely agree. I think that this has happened a long time. Um, and especially if you look in the kind of the American experience, probably post-Reformation as far as for the West, um, where there's just an explosion of different groups and things like that. But it's been really hard to study, even even up until probably, like you said, just recently with social media, it allows you to see, and this is what I find it fascinating as well, is that, you know, prior, you know, in the 70s, you had, you know, different cults and groups and movements and but a lot of the evidence of what was said, who was involved, what they said, the followers of those groups um, w- w- was, you know, it's either hearsay or second and third hand stories that, you know, are 30, 20, you know, 50 years later, whatever it may be. Whereas now you can see pretty much in real time um, and to an extent saved, although I I hate this trend in Twitter of people having these deletion um kind of uh, almost kind of like these reconciliation exhortations of the of their of their past 
where they, you know, do these mass deletions of everything that they talked about. Uh, it's very dishonest to. and cowardly, very dishonest and very cowardly. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I, I get to an extent where if you said something that you no longer, you know, like where if you, let's just say you're saying herbal life was the best thing ever and everybody should join it that, you know, three years later after you realize what's going on that you delete that sort of thing, but where you're making qualitative statements on something that you believe, um, I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I find it to be really weird to do that, but um, I, I do like how social media does allow for this kind of more deep dive study. And I think, I think that it's more of a boomer mentality of going, you know, well, this is, you know, God, this is all brand new and all these kind of, you know, groups on the internet that are kind of forming. I, you know, like we said, it's, it's happened and it's just that now we're actually able to see it quantify it um and and kind of record it whereas before the boomers and what they were doing back in their you know teenage years and 20s and 30s was not so much but with bitcoin i i I agree follows follows a lot of this um um, same thing and it's it's i don't know it's it's really interesting to see the bitcoin cult as it as it you know and so many people when you say that get get completely turned off and bothered by it um but I, i think that it perfectly encapsulates what Bitcoin is. And like I've said, I, I don't think it would be where it is today if it had not developed into it for good or bad. There's a lot of deference to magic in society, or at least has been up until the internet. And I see this like in my dad and his generation. And if you pay attention, you'll find it too now, I suspect. And and there's like this sort of mysticism of the unknown that it is a form of social cohesion and has been for a long time. And so I think what ends up happening is, is like, I guess in prior years, the people like respected the unknown more. So like when weird societal things happened and nobody offered any degree of understanding, it, it was just like everyone was content to let it go. And nowadays, I, I don't really accept that. I, I, I'm not even proud of this because like I, I can make a good case of why this is this is like uh, antisocial behavior. But it's also like I'm a grown ass man. I only have one life to leave, and damn it, I, I, I'm not going to just let things slide. It's not that I want accountability. I want understanding, and I want I want to work towards uh, improving. Honestly, just the, the degree of interactivity between myself and the people around me. And uh, it, yeah, I, I think I think that like the internet kind of destroys a lot of the appeal of ignorance. And so I think uh, there's a lot of people like demanding answers, like. Why was it that all of a sudden everybody felt this way? Like, I don't know, we, we can take, I don't know where we are politically, but like, like this sort of like feminism wave that like invaded Twitter around the time of the election in 2016, like for better or worse, whatever you think, like that was unprecedented. But at the same time, everybody involved in that were championing how long they were this identity, which had never shown up before and all of a sudden was everywhere. And now it seems to have subsided significantly. Maybe, maybe I'm, Maybe I'm not seeing, you know, what you guys are seeing. Maybe the, the algorithms are changing things, uh, but it's like, I, you know, I want answers and I don't want to hold anyone responsible. I don't want to like tell people that like they need to like be banished. I just want to know what the fuck happened. I'm not going to like let that go to ignorance without some resolution around me. And and we're getting answers and and, and it's good. It's exciting because I think what will end up happening uh, truthfully is that, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe my faith is in reason and other people's faith is in ignorance. But like, I, I think that with the reason will come preventative steps to prevent people from going out of control ultimately. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe this will be like the end of humanity. And, and I, and I was just was like made a big mistake, but I don't think that. And I don't think that many people do think that. 
that are like semi to well-educated internet denizens? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm torn on uh, it where I would agree that I would rather know. I would rather find out why these things, and, and, and uh, I'm along the, the same lines as well. I don't think that it should be some sort of modern day, you know, Salem witch trial um, sort of thing uh, where we're constantly, because I mean, the, the cancel culture, I guess, kind of goes into that where people are yeah. constantly looking for a reason why you should hate this person. Or even if you don't even have a reason to, people will just dig. You know, there's there's just that case. There was that guy who held up that sign. I can't remember. Was it some sporting event asking for money to raise for like kids' cancer research? Something, raise, you know, I, I can't remember the donation address or QR code. I, I can't remember exactly. And someone dug into his like old social media and they found something. I, I can't remember what it was said. If it was some racist, racist or homophobic, you know, joke that he'd made, you know, like when he years and years and years ago um and it was used to just ruin this person where all he had done it's not like he'd made a political statement either he was just raising money um and it went viral and and a lot of good was and, and somebody felt the need to try to dig it up because i guess they feel that their social standing um and that's the weird thing about the internet is that we have more information now than ever i remember you know you, you were probably the same way you I grew up in a very small town, so we had like one tiny little library. And that's basically where all the world's knowledge was outside of uh, NBC News and Star Trek uh, Next Generation. And now you have it in the palm of your hand. You can find anything, but it seems like most people spend their days um, trying to um, use that access to information just so they can shit on other people. Um, yeah. And we I don't know. To me, it almost seems like we're becoming less reasoned and less educated um, the more yeah. access that we have to reason and education. It is true. Um, Adam Curtis did a phenomenal movie on this that is not as popular as his other movies. Uh, I believe it's like All Watched Over by the Machines of Love and Grace is the name of the, of the movie. It's like a five-part series. Uh, it's hard to get in America. If you can get it, he talks about. Um, it's, it's a really unfortunate and complicated issue uh, that, that I think drives a lot of this. Like there's a cycle of um, vengeance and virtue that humans seem to need in many cases we're in like in order to ascend the social hierarchy and receive dopamine as a member of society you must banish uh the deviants or you know the other and who the other is or who the deviants are are irrelevant so even if there are no deviants or others then what will happen is you'll look to your own group to find somebody who is uh the, the fringiest member and you would, and you will make him the other or the deviant, so that you can banish him, thus receiving the affirmation of your peers. And I'm not innocent of that. I, I do that. Like I, I, like I would be the first to admit, I, I too am human, and I do this thing. And as I'm getting older, I'd like to think I'm getting better about it. But there, you know, we have emotions, and we are captive to them. So who knows? Like you guys can evaluate that in me, maybe. But um, it, it is a very unfortunate thing. There, it's uh, another way of putting it is is uh, familiarity breeds contempt. And that is just like brutal. And it seems really true. You'll, you'll just see, I guess this affects people's in their, in their personal relationships where like, it's just nothing happened, but, but familiarity. And, and that, and then the, the narcissism of petty difference creeps up. And then before you know it, it's like a bloodbath over block size. And, and this like, goes so stupid, uh, but it is a matter of great principle. Um, and that's, that's that. And, and that, that is the cycle of humanity.
Well, if you look at humanity, just history is that I, I think that the only great unifier in humanity has always been, you know, persecution of the, of the other. It's where we always come together. I shouldn't say of humanity, but within, you know, groups of humanity where you see the, the greatest unification, even among disparate groups, once they find that, that other that everybody hates. So within Bitcoin, I'd probably say it's probably Craig Wright, um, where everybody comes together to, to hate him. But then outside of that, once you're done with that Twitter thread, you know, then it goes back to, you know, uh, you know, World War II is over and now, the you know, we're at, at the throat, throat of the Soviets. Um, but, you know, even, you know, if you look at sports teams, you go, oh, well, we unified in our love for the Jets or the Patriots or whatever. But we're only unified in the hopes that we can defeat the other. And I, I, yeah. I mean, I, I think I think that we're we're really far away from kind of moving to that. And it's sad that we can't be unified in a form of of compassion and and I guess love, I guess, to kind of get a little bit more, um, um, you know, kind of like woo woo with it. But, um, you know, it, it's it's unfortunate that we can't do that. It always has to be conflict based and it always has to be at the expense of another group versus at the benefit of another group. I think the I think the Eastern tradition does a better job than the Western tradition on some of these some of these themes. Um, but it's it's like very bittersweet and it may be just damning. But like the humans are most impressive when they're just like engaged in a battle with their mortal enemies. So like if you want to go to the moon, um, you, you you need a cold war and you need to bring the Earth to like the verge of destruction. And and it shouldn't be that way. Like you you'd think that the humans would be aligned enough in their goals to just like put down the weapons and just go to the moon so that we could like ensure a better you know future for all involved. But no, uh, it seems like we have to do this crazy, uh, crazy dance with each other uh, where we are effectively savages and on great scales, horrific scales. And, and in that way, we can uh, devise a rocket ship. And, and then that theme is recurring. Um, we were talking about this in the Briar Patch today too. I, I, I don't even care to plug the channel, but it, it's just, these are, very topical at the moment, I think. Um, and you know, another, another point I'd say in all of this too, is that like, I, I, I don't know if you, do you have much experience moderating forums, channels? Uh, a, a little bit enough to know that it's an absolute nightmare. Right. Okay. So like, this is, this is something like I, I'm used to, I'm used to being in environments where when I have a problem, I go to the books and I just read and I find that the, the, the problem, I mean, I'm, I'm a computer programmer by, by training, I suppose. That's a relevant description, but I'm a, I'm a computer programmer, at least where uh, I have been for most of my life. And so when you're going to learn a new language or you have like, I got to, you know, I have to like interoperate with a database, you, you go to the literature and you pull the book off the shelf and you read. And then, you know, eight hours later, maybe you, you're like, okay, I have a pretty good idea of what needs to be done. However, there's this glaring hole. There's this giant hole in all of our, all of our knowledge about moderation. And this is a problem that you'd think that like everybody has dealt with and everybody has seen and there should be like a litany of books about. And, and there are actually uh, a litany of books about, but it's just, it's a like dire dour and it's just really hard and there's no easy, it's not eight hours and, and like no one's really figured it out. It's just got like these stories of the crusades and like these just, these awful times and, and like these moments of, of like clarity that are fleeting. And it's just like, all you wanted to do was like, you know, keep a room of like 50 people from, from mutinying. And, uh, and it's very, very hard. And, and like, you, you need, you know, you need like these very vulgar resolutions. You, you gotta kind of be uh, a bit of an asshole, uh, unfortunately. 
and and like in, in the way that like no one wants to hear. You know, you, you got to like tell lies to people. You have to be double faced. Um, you, you have to. This is what politics is. And then like it's it's such a great burden to to have any individual face without any training uh, at all. Um, and, and it's a shame that every every one of us has been tasked with this in some incremental or, or significant way in the last few years online. Um, every, everybody from like, you know, our mothers starting a sewing club that gets, you know, contentious about something uh, to Bitcoin, which gets contentious about everything, you know what. And you can't just go to a website and read like a very quick guide on how to, to solve this problem. Or if you can, it, it's going to be like so reductionist just to be like laughable and you're just like, okay, well, this doesn't apply to my problem. Well, at least that's been my experience. And I, I think yours as well, judging by how you introduced the issue. Um, and and uh, like there is there, that's not to say there aren't solutions, but it requires work from everybody. Like it's not the, it's not the moderator's job, even principally. It's 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 you, you got to make people hungry. It's like the room's got to be starving. And then, and then now we have the, we have a culture and a medium by which we can create something worth growing. Uh, and that's sad because like right now we're all fat and happy. And what I suspect is. Uh, the Bitcoin needs to get kicked in the gut a few times before people will want to uh, absorb a new way of doing things. And so be it. Like that'll happen. So be it. But it's, it's you know, it didn't have to. It just doesn't. It, it sounds to me like that's a bit, I don't know, inefficient, let's say. Well, the, it kind of leads me to my, my thought on, I, I wrote an article a while back on forks and that kind of being maybe a, a concept of a conflict resolution um, for for people in general, you know, going into the future, this idea of, you know, because forks is, is something totally different um, from, say, like in a, in a normal kind of meat space society, right, where you, if you don't like what's going on in the United States or something like that, if you want to, you know, let's say go back to the Civil War, if you wanted to leave, um, that is not something that they're going to be that's going to be looked, you know, uh, not looked down upon and not uh, bringing conflict. Whereas a fork, it's contentious. People are angry and they're still angry um, years later. But I mean, at the end of the day, it was, it was totally, it was bloodless, right? Um, we forked um, and two communities um, out of one um, or second community, you know, was created and everybody just kind of went on their way. And then after that, it was just mainly just verbal sparring. Um, after that, um, probably a little bit of politicking and stuff behind the scenes. But I wonder if that's a, a way that we can go forward as we become more and more digital. And I, I always have maybe this is just you know technological hopium um, and utopianism, which it probably mostly is just a given way that humanity is. Um, but as we become more digital, I wonder if it'll be easier to to become less contentious and where people can just have the ability to find like-minded people. And that in-group is fine. If you, you know, that, 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 uh, that echo chamber is fine. Um, whereas there's no actual geographic location and, 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 and property um, per se that, that is in danger of, you know, that's not a scarce resource, I guess um, that you need to worry about where, where people can just kind of go in their own little directions they don't have to fight over a scarce resource such as you know geography or, or actual resources or even in Bitcoin per se, um, and they can go off on their own and live their own happy lives. And if you don't like the way, eventually down the road that that group is doing, you split off into your own group, almost kind of like subreddits, I guess, in a way. Um, and I wonder if, if that's a way if 
the Benedict option um, in the in the kind of the more of the Catholic tradition is a better way for you know just kind of remove yourself from the world, so to speak, um, is the best way to go. I I like that plan. I've heard it, it phrased in other ways, and I, I think it's well articulated here. Um, and that's what kind of what the exchanges do, you know, like, like you aren't, d- despite what you see the fanatics tell you on, on Twitter, you're not married, uh, to your, to your, to your bits and your, in your block size, you're, you're able to just hit a button and convert from one leadership team to the next. And, uh, I, I think that, I think that that's, that's probably pretty close to what we want. Um, I will, I, I don't know that, I mean, here's, here's kind of where Matt with some of this is like. Roughly, there's like two realms of community organization. There's organizing the starving and organizing the full. And uh, so when you have like a company, uh, you know, let's say Microsoft, uh, you're organizing the starving because if they don't do what you tell them, they will starve. And, and while, yes, there's like a they can they can switch to a different employer. Uh, there's still ramifications in the sense that like they have to explain their, their work history. And, they you know, you, you and they are like tied in a degree that like there's an owing in some capacity in their, in their future expectations of, uh, eating. So, so that's one realm and that's like the conventional realm. Um, now, uh, organizing the full, uh, the people who are already satiated, satiated, I forgot to pronounce it. Um, but need to be organized. That's generally the realm of uh, traditional politics. So, uh, in the United States, that would, that would seem to be the realm of, uh, Republicans and Democrats. And what happens there is extremely, extremely complicated. Um, but I, I think that here in, in Bitcoin and blockchain, we are effectively in that realm, no matter what, because, because even if like the price is down, almost everyone's going to have a, a normal job. So they're, they're not actually going to be starving, like literally, e- even though like, you know, commensurate with the price, they may, they may have like lost, you know, I don't know, 20 years off their retirement, but, uh, they're, they're hopefully, uh, getting money in the door. So. It's going to probably have to embody something closer to like a national politics style. Now, that being said, like it, it may very well be that each of these forks are uh, political parties. Um, that would be nice to see. Uh, I, I do think that if that is the realm in which we're going, uh, that Decred is just a sleeper hit. Uh, I, I maintain that Decred is the, the largest Bitcoin development team. Um, they've done an excellent job of not promoting that, even though that's what I see very obviously to me, uh, is that it is a Bitcoin fork that is very well governed comparatively. I'm sure there are tons of flaws and scandals and things that I mean, I've heard bits and pieces of, but compared to like Bitcoin, it's, it's remarkable. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I will say that it's a bit weird in that the first mover advantage has the wall street attention in a way that might incentivize everybody in the space to just deprecate Bitcoin. Like I could totally see that happening. It's an unpopular thing to hear. Uh, I, I've got solutions that nobody wants to hear to that problem that work very, very well. But uh, even still, it may end up being that there has to be a mutiny of the first mover in order to facilitate this fork model. And I wouldn't be surprised if that happens, quite honestly. We'll see. And, and I, the reason I say that is because like, and, and we are allegiant to America. And then as, as a second layer underneath that, or over it, take a pick, uh, the parties, either Democrats or Republicans. So that, that doesn't exactly work here in Bitcoin because the, the Bitcoin cultural product, the, the flag that is flown, belongs to a single leader, one single leader. Uh, and then anybody who 
tries to wave that flag is deemed um, incidental or tangential, seemingly, by the exchanges. So I think that's how that works. I could be wrong. Well, it's well. I guess I kind of led into. I'll make this my my kind of my last. Well, yeah, probably should. It's we've been uh, going on for almost an hour and a half. So, I, and I know it's a little bit later there in Florida, but I wanted to go into the. You mentioned it just a, a minute ago. Uh, was the the concept of the briar patch the briar patch that you have developed? And I was wondering if you. I mean, I know that's it's a pretty complicated uh, topic with a lot of layers, but I was wondering if you could kind of go over. Um, that concept and and kind of give a, a introductory to a, um, intermediary, I guess, um, overview, overview yeah. of that concept. It's not popular these days, but like in the Southern tradition, we have Uncle Remus Tales, and it, it is a compendium of Southern Dixieland stories uh, that has fallen out of favor for reasons that I, you know are understandable. But I, I think we threw the baby out with the bathwater, and, and there's some amazing stories in there that are so relevant and are censored um, in, in the public discourse. In any case, uh, one such tale is the tale of the Briar Patch. And uh, there, there's a rabbit, Briar Rabbit, and he, he finds himself uh, meeting two thugs on the road. Uh, the two thugs are imbeciles. And nonetheless, they, they're out to do him harm. Uh, and uh, this is, this, these two imbeciles are roughly representative of the vast majority of uh, so-called leaders in this space, um, wherein uh, they're so led and blinded by spite and animosity that uh, their executive function has ceased to operate, and they just do the opposite of what the target of their ire does. So it's, it's reverse psychology. So the rabbit uh, tells these thugs that the worst thing that could happen to the rabbit is to be thrown into the briar patch. And so dutifully... Uh, the two thugs throw him into the briar patch. Well, un- unknown to the thugs, uh, the rabbit's home was the briar patch, and he was very happy there, and he escaped their wrath. Um, and that's the end of the story. And so the briar patch is effectively a place where, where people who see things that way seem to end up, uh, or you know, have friends that see things like that. Um, and it is a place of uh, political incorrectness, <laughs> to say the least. I try to moderate. Uh, I, 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 it's kind of a lost cause, but I try my best. Uh, and the, the goal generally, as best I can tell, uh, of, of the channel is to ascend uh, the conversational hierarchy. Um, I forgot what it's called. Do you, you know this hierarchy uh, the conversation wherein like the bottom layer is just like pejorative slurs and then the top layer is discussing the point? Um, hierarchy of discussion, I think. Is that what it's called? I'm looking this up now. Oh, I, yeah. yeah, it's the hierarchy of discussion. Right. So I'm doing my best. To, to move us from this, this hierarchy of discussion, wherein uh, we start at name calling, we move up to ad hominem, and then we respond to tone. And then uh, at the very top, there's a few other steps. Uh, we, we refute the central point. Um, some days are better than others. I have to say the stock in this space is uh, piss poor. <laughs> Quite frankly, we've got a lot of people who are very low on the hierarchy. They themselves are not much better than the thugs. But it's better, it's better than a lot of the alternatives. Uh, maybe the best worst system that we have. I don't know. Um, for, quite frankly, I don't, I don't even want immigrants coming. Like I, you guys, I'd be great, fine and good. I, I don't know if I want you there. <laughs> yeah. um, if you can find out how to get there, I guess that's a good, just like standard bar. Uh, it's not very hard. At the same time, I don't want to make it so easy for you uh, that you just walk in on impulse. I want you to at least expend a little bit of little bit of sweat finding out how to get there. Uh, and then if you get there, you can engage with others, hopefully of like mind, uh, where they talk all the fucking day. Like I, I'm in there as much as I can. I like it there, but I'll, I'll be damned. It isn't probably one of the most active 
uh, Telegram groups of the space. It's taken on a life of its own. I, I may regret this, so I, I have to be honest. But for the time being, at least, it's, it's staying afloat. And, um, and where can people find you, uh, engage with you, and, and where's the best place to, to, um, to, to basically get all of the, the stuff that you're putting out? DeRose on Twitter, D-E-R-O-S-E. Start there. And uh, you can check me out on ChrisDeRose.com. I don't even try to promote myself anymore at this point. At this point. Like, I, I love the space. Um, like, I'm just sort of like this, this guy who I, you know, I feel like either I've, I've earned my place or not. I don't really care. Uh, I, I have everything I need in the space. And if you need something for me, like you can come reach out to me and that's fine and good. But uh, I'm okay not being promoted also. Well, uh, I will actually uh, uh, promote you. So if you go to okay. uh, digitalcrypto.com slash EP53, uh, you'll find uh, basically all the links and notes to articles or podcasts or whatever else that we talked about um, will be located there. The link to the Briar Patch will not be. Um, as you'll have to take the hero's journey to try to find your way there. there you go. Um, but, uh, but Chris, I, I really appreciate your time tonight. It was a great Same. discussion. This is wonderful. Um, and, yeah. And then, and I hope to, to have you on again soon. Anytime. Um, you know, as, as always with, with Bitcoin, there's always constant, uh, you know, there's always constant discussions and, and new things that are emerging um, that, that uh, kind of coincide and, and are influenced by kind of the cultural shifts and, and just things that are happening in the world. So we'll always probably have a, a plethora of things to, to on our plate to talk about. So, but uh, thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me on.